Simple Beep, episode 36, 40 and 40. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. Today's episode is celebrating a special occasion, which is the 40th birthday of Apple. And Apple itself got into celebrating this at their press event that they held a couple weeks ago, where they showed a video called 40 Years in 40 Seconds, where they went through a whole bunch of Apple products and references and services that have happened in those 40 years. And today we're going to go through and cover all of that. And our goal here is we're going to expand it a little bit 60-fold. We're going to do 40 years in 40 minutes, which means the clock is already on and we better get moving. Uh, before we do that, one thing that we want to mention is if you want to follow along here, we've got a link to the video. We've got Another link to an excellent post by a friend of the show, Stephen Hackett, who has listed out in text form all of the things that are represented in the video. But without further ado, here we go. So on April 1, 1976, Apple was founded by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne, the little-known third founder of Apple. Wayne was brought in as, quote, the adult supervision for Jobs and Wozniak, and he had a 10% stake in the company. He did not last long at Apple. He was there for 11 days. His stake was bought out for $800 on April 12th, 1976. He felt that there was too much risk being invested in Apple. And just for reference, 10% of Apple today, in terms of its value, is about $60 billion. Hello. This is a reference to what was on the original Macintosh's screen at its unveiling. I think it was in Mac Paint, a nice cursive bitmap hello drawn out on the screen. And especially if you saw the Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs movie, you know how important it was for the Mac to also speak hello at its introduction. Uh, so this tied into the original Macintosh's advertising. It showed how friendly the computer was and its graphics and audio capability. Let's go back one step to the Apple One, which had no more switches and no more lights. This was an actual piece of marketing copy from an original Apple One print ad. And also in here, headings from this ad were, you don't need an expensive teletype, eight kilobytes of RAM in 16 chips, and a little cassette board that works. So these were all features of the Apple One. The pun here was printed in the ad, you could bite into an Apple for the low price of $666.66. Now, that was for the 16-gigabyte model. I mean, the 4K of RAM model. <laughs> there was another model that was a little bit more expensive and had, I believe, 8K of RAM. And the price itself was, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, because Wozniak liked repeating digits and because it was a one-third markup on the $500 wholesale price. Wozniak, who called himself atheist or agnostic, stated that he was unaware of any satanic connotations with the number. Up next is Bicycle for the Mind, a quote attributed to Steve Jobs that came out of a, a larger speech he gave on what separates us from the other high primates, and that's uh, that we make tools. One of the tools is a bicycle. A man on a bicycle would completely blow away another fast animal, the condor, and to Steve Jobs, a computer is like a bicycle for your mind. And one of those computers, one of the best computers that Apple ever made and what gave them their initial success was the Apple II. 
It was the first appliance-style personal computer. It went on sale on June 10, 1977, with a 6502 microprocessor running at 1.023 megahertz. It came with two game paddles, that's exciting, 4K of RAM, and that audio cassette interface. And it also came with BASIC loaded onto the ROM. After the Apple II era, before we got to the Macintosh was the Lisa, a predecessor to the Macintosh. It was named after Steve Jobs' daughter, which is a little bit awkward, and the team wasn't necessarily sure of that. There were some doubts about it for a while, but later on in Jobs' life, he definitely admitted to that in, uh, I believe, in one of his biographies. And one of the interesting things about the Lisa was that originally it was the only platform on which Mac software could be developed, a little bit like OS X is today for iOS devices. Now we're here. We're at Macintosh. This is the all-in-one high-performance graphics computer with a nine-inch black and white screen, far cry from today's retina displays. And it had a blazing Motorola 68000 microprocessor running at a blazing 7.8336 megahertz. The Macintosh was, of course, known as the computer for the rest of us. And it came out in 1984, which had an accompanying Super Bowl television commercial that is legendary. We all found out that 1984 won't be like 1984. One of the main hardware features of the original Macintosh was the mouse, but the mouse was actually developed also for the Lisa, and it was a novel input device. One of the interesting things about the mouse in the early Mac was that you needed some instructions on how to use it, and part of the on-screen help gave you tutorials in doing that. I think we feel like that's unnecessary in today's world, although some of my coworkers use the mouse in upside-down, backwards, very strange ways that maybe they could use a little refresher. <laughs> but it was very easy, and it was as easy as one click. And famously, Apple has never produced a two-button mouse, even though they were standard in the Windows PC world forever and ever. And even now that they support right clicks natively, they're all zero-button designs, like the Magic Mouse or the current trackpads. Next, we jump way, way ahead from one click to three steps. To set up the iMac and get on the internet, there were allegedly three steps, except the third step was... There's no step three. But as we found out in an earlier episode, the third step was signing up for an Earthlink account. Next, we have the Happy Mac which would be shown on the screen of your Macintosh after a successful power-on self-test to indicate that the boot sequence was up and running and everything so far was going well. If things weren't going well, you would get the sad Mac with his eyes X'd out and hear the chimes of death. And there were some funny chimes of death. Yeah. And unfortunately, this was replaced by another item we will talk about later and a gray Apple in macOS 10.2 Jaguar. Our first pieces of software, Mac Paint and Mac Write. At the launch of the Mac, much like at the launch of the iPhone, there was basically no third-party software, and they needed to make sure that the computer wouldn't just do nothing. And so they developed Mac Paint, which we talked about a lot last episode, uh, brainchild of Bill Atkinson. There was a separate team for Mac Write, and there was a separate, separate team for another <laughs> Mac Write because Steve Jobs didn't trust the Mac Write team, and that became a different word processing application called Right Now, which naturally lived on on the next platform. Next, we have Think Different, Apple's most popular marketing slogan, which is a not-so-subtle reference to IBM's Think marketing slogan. 
We covered it a lot in our Apple marketing episode, and I will stand by it here as the resident linguist that is not grammatically incorrect. Wikipedia says that. This time, Wikipedia is wrong. Next, we have the iMac, which was introduced by saying hello again. Came out in 1998 and is regarded by many as the machine that kind of saved Apple and pulled it back from the brink. One of the interesting things about the original iMac was that it was no longer beige. And quickly after its launch in Bondi Blue, it came in additional colors. Tangerine, lime, strawberry, blueberry, grape, yum. And as iconic as the original Bondi Blue iMac was in Departure from Beige, it only lasted all of six months before the Five Flavors Gumdrop iMacs took over. Next, we have Kill the Floppy, which probably wasn't an actual pull quote from a marketing campaign or or something said uh, on stage at the iMac's introduction, but it's pretty much the practical effect of the iMac. The iMac did not ship with a floppy drive, and people moved on to different forms of moving their information around. QuickTime is Apple's video and multimedia framework launched in 1991. It debuted with high-resolution 320 by 240 video, and the original demo actually played the 1984 ad at that size. And QuickTime, interestingly, was one of the main battle lines in the anti-flash wars with the iPhone because much of the video on the internet, including YouTube at that time, was all Flash-based, and Apple said, no way, we're not putting Flash on the iPhone QuickTime will do just fine. And it is doing just fine. Back to some of those iMac colors. One of them, a later version, was graphite. Not very candy-colored at all. But it was chic, not geek. And this is one of the marketing taglines for that particular version of iMac. And uh, it's a nice little oblique reference here. You'll notice that some of the other later colors of iMac, like Flower Power and Blue Dalmatian, <laughs> did not make Apple's 40 and 40 list. One thing that certainly did is the Finder. We're going all the way back to the original Mac and System 1. The Finder is your desktop. It is your uh, way to browse and open and organize the files on your Macintosh. And it has persevered all the way to today. Next, Power Mac. And this is where I have to point out that someone didn't proofread this video because there is no space in Power Mac. The Power Mac G4 was the first computer from Apple whose official name wasn't Power Macintosh, was actually just Power Mac. And the iMac, of course, was the first product with the shortened Mac rather than Macintosh in the name. There's also the Power Book. But interestingly enough, the Power Book preceded the Power Macintosh and Power PC architecture. There were PowerBooks in the early 90s running on the same Motorola uh, 68 class processors. The line survived all the way through the Power Macintosh line, including third and fourth generation processors. That is until they got renamed and became the MacBooks. And originally, the name was met with some criticism. Uh, people thought that it was a bad name, a silly name. What are they doing smashing these two words together? But this has been a common theme with Apple product names. Remember that people laughed at iPad as well because they thought that it sounded like a feminine hygiene product. 99 cents. At the time of the iTunes Music Store's introduction, this was the only price for single songs. And there are still a lot of songs at this price point, 99 cents. But there are also now 69 cents for more back catalog and less popular songs and $1.29 for the really hot hits that Apple is going to squeeze an extra 30 cents 
out of you for. Got to keep up those margins. You got to. 99 cents is also the lowest price for apps in the U.S. App Store, and all United States app prices must end in 99 cents. There are no round dollars. At just 99 cents a piece, you could buy a lot of songs. And with the original iPod that predated that, you could fit a thousand songs in your pocket. It was the tagline for the original iPod, and it was a pretty safe bet with the five gigabyte capacity, giving you about five megabytes per song. And interestingly, when the Mini and Nano came out later on, they had smaller storage, four gigabytes. But Apple said that they could still promise you a thousand songs because now they were AAC files instead of MP3s and were more efficient. Next, we have the Apple Store, Apple's retail stores. You can walk in and experience Apple products on beautifully laid out wooden tables in the closest thing the real world has to Johnny Ives' white room. (laughs) Not to be confused with the Apple Store is the App Store, which came much later and is the digital place to go and browse all your sweet <laughs> apps and software. And spam. And-, <laughs> and is a source of much frustration for developers to this day. There's also Genius. Genius, which features into both stores. Physical retail stores have the Genius Bar and Apple Geniuses who can help you with your problems. There's also the Genius feature in iTunes, which can figure out songs and other media that you like based on purchases, or playlists you've already made or created. Here's a big one, OS X. <laughs> uh, just slip that right in there. Formerly known as Mac OS X, and perhaps in the future known as Mac OS, we'll see. Uh, OS X just turned 15 years old, so another major anniversary here. And even though it confused some people at the beginning, that's the Roman numeral for 10. it was never pronounced OS X. Another big one is iOS. And Similar to OS X, it also had an important name change. So despite the fact that the iPhone was introduced in 2008, only in 2010 did the iPhone OS grow up and become iOS 4.0, which is now on multiple types of devices. The next entry in the video is arguably many people's favorite entry because it is for the Newton which was animated to be crossed out in the same way that you would scribble over something you'd written on your Newton to delete it. Trash, yes, the trash can that's always on your desktop. Interestingly, if you go all the way back to the Lisa, it had a waste basket, much more proper than trash. You know that your trash is empty or full based on its appearance, but that actually didn't happen until System 7, when the trash can began to bulge. Then in OS X, the metal garbage can was tossed away, and we got the wire mesh trash can like you might have in your office. And now from... 10.10 onwards, it's been replaced yet again with what looks like a white plastic trash can that maybe you got at Target or something. Next is the F-sharp chime. And this actually goes back to the first episode of our show. I went back and listened to part of that. Uh, Please do not go back and listen to episode one of the show. We did not know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) The Power Macintosh 9600 was the first model to have this exact chime. Some earlier PCI-based Power Macs had the same chime, but it was in a different key. But this key is the one that is trademarked. Yes. Don't trip over your power cord unless it is a MagSafe power cord, which has been featured on almost every Mac laptop since 2006, but is not present on the new MacBook One, which uses USB-C instead. So you can accidentally yank it off a desk and cause great damage. 
I also uh, yanked a old PowerBook cord in the past and destroyed part of the adapter. Fortunately, that's easier to replace than the computer itself. Next, we have the iPod Classic. There are actually five generations of iPod before the uh, spinning hard disk uh, traditional iPad form factor was deemed the classic. And there we'll get through the rest of the iPod soon. But what about some iPods we're missing from this list? The iPod Photo, the first one with the color display. The iPod U2, the first black iPod. Well, and the iPod Photo was ac- an actual separate product name. So that one is interesting that it's not on the list. But let's keep going. We have the iPod Mini, the iPod Nano, which was famously introduced out of the like coin pocket out of Steve Jobs' uh, Levi's. You ever wonder what this pocket's for? The iPod Shuffle and the iPod Touch. The iPod Touch had a great intro, which we covered in our Apple marketing show with the slogan from the CSS song, My music is where I'd like you to touch. So that product intro got the name of the product right, but no one else ever will. They will always call it the iTouch. Yes. One product name that no one gets wrong, thank goodness, is the iPhone. It's probably your most indispensable Apple device, and it's an iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator all in one. Although I think that my iPhone is mostly just the internet communicator these days, because the music app is not working for me, and the phone is something that I do not use except when I absolutely have to. Yep, I would say the same for me. Shortly after the introduction of the iPhone came the iPad a few years later. One of the interesting things is that the initial prototypes of the iPad were actually developed before the iPhone. They were postponed as people inside Apple saw the need to come to market with a phone and the fact that that would be a more impactful product. And much of the technology gains that they were able to make in the iPad prototypes were then brought into the original iPhone. Next, we have the iSight, which began as a standalone FireWire little aluminum tube web camera. Did you ever have one of those? I did have one of those. My parents made sure that I took one to college so that they could see my face across the country. (laughs) Uh, It was then used to refer to the camera in the bezel of some early Intel-based laptops and uh, iMacs, but that is no longer the case. The iSight now refers to the rear camera on portable devices like the iPhone, the iPod Touch, and the iPad. Now we're going to get into some software, starting with the software suite iLife. And this software suite included several things over its history, including iPhoto, iMovie, iTunes. We'll get to them later. A couple of the things that didn't make it into the video by themselves iLife apps like iDVD for creating your own DVDs with menus that would play on a real TV, and iWeb, Apple's offline authoring suite for creating delightful, whimsical, template-based websites that look like they're from the early 2000s. A website only Scott Forstall could love. (laughs) But life isn't all about just fun media. You also have to get to work. So there's also iWork, which began as the dynamic duo of Pages, the word processor, and Keynote, the presentation software, and later added Numbers, the spreadsheet software. Interestingly, I would have thought that Numbers would get its separate entry in the video because it came later, but Keynote's the one that did. We'll get to it in a moment. Going back to one of the star applications of the iLife suite is iPhoto, which now has been replaced with the more simply named Photos. Another photo application that might have shipped on your Mac was Photo Booth, 
which is basically selfies on your Mac before selfies were a thing. (laughs) This app still ships on every Mac. It uses that front-facing camera, whatever it's called now. And for me, I know that Photo Booth is the quick, how do I look before I get on this Skype call app? I like putting myself on a roller coaster. (laughs) Next, we have the MacBook Air, which I'm recording this very episode of our podcast on right now. This is one of Apple's most impossible engineering feats because they were able to fit the whole computer inside a manila envelope. I remember seeing that keynote and just losing my mind. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted one immediately. Another big important piece of software is iTunes. In 2001, iTunes was launched and it was the best music player ever devised, putting things like Audion sadly out of business. In 2016, it's still around and I'm unclear whether iTunes is still actually a music player. It does pretty much everything else. Next, we have iMovie, which came on the scene in 1999 and was pretty remarkable for all the kinds of effects and transitions you could add to your digital movie files. And then it was completely rewritten by what seemed to be just one guy, Randy Ubelos, at Apple. And it became part of the iLife 08 suite, and everyone hated it. And then everyone grew to love it, as is also the case with a lot of Apple software. I'm a PC. I'm a Mac. Cut. Hang on. That is not the line. (laughs) We also covered this in our Apple marketing episode. The line in every single one of the ads was... Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. So clearly, no one proofread this video. Next, we have FaceTime, which is Apple's version of video chat. When it was introduced, it was promised to go open source, and we are still waiting for that to happen. Maybe they'll rewrite it in Swift. (laughs) Yeah. FaceTime has also become the name of front-facing cameras on all kinds of devices, whether they are iOS-based or OS X-based. Next up is Airport, Apple's wireless technology. When it was first introduced, it had the original UFO base station and the airport card. And I remember that my family put an optional airport card into our iMac G4 instead of buying a router for the house, and we created an ad hoc network that way to get everybody online. The next item in the 40 and 40 video is not a word. It's actually the image of the spinning beach ball cursor. And the version they show is the most recent version, which went flat in El Capitan. But the first color beach ball was actually in the Next Step 2.0. We first saw it on the Macintosh in OS X Server 1.0. And no love for the watch. (laughs) Yeah. A couple of time-related things here. Time Machine, which are your incremental backups in space. (laughs) But the space motif has been toned down recently, which I think is very good. And since Lion, it has also done local snapshots on your drive, so it can be kind of backing up even when you don't have a backup drive plugged in. One other way you could not have a backup drive plugged in was with a time capsule, which is the all-in-one solution for wireless time machine backups. But if you have bad Wi-Fi signal and you're backing up to an HFS Plus drive, it's a recipe for slowness and disaster and corruption. Next, we have GarageBand, which this podcast episode was definitely edited on to bring to you. (laughs) Here's Keynote. It's back after I work. It's Apple's presentation software. It was, in fact, originally a bespoke app for Steve Jobs to use in Keynotes, hence its name. And Apple still uses it for its public presentations and even uses the default gradient theme on stage. The next item is Ahoy Telephone. It's not actually that, but if we were to say it, it would drive a lot of you crazy. It was interesting that Apple chose 
to potentially drive us all crazy by saying out the full phrase instead of just putting in an entry for Siri herself. Itself, himself, themselves. <laughs> Next we have, there's an app for that. Another very famous slogan and marketing campaign, but we all got a little tired of it by the end of, say, 2009. Now there's a thousand apps for that. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of interesting ones here. Two finger. I'm not sure what they're referring to here. The right-click gesture, two-finger scrolling. It, it must be one of these because two fingers is not true multi-touch, which is the next thing. And this is, of course, how Apple's input surfaces behave today. One interesting fact about multi-touch is that Apple tried to trademark the term and it was denied because the Patent and Trademark Office said, it's just describing what it does. You touch it multiple times. The next item is the Magic Mouse, which has a multi-touch surface across its uh, top side but it was not listed here as Mighty Mouse. To go along with your Magic Mouse is your Magic Trackpad, which I will note does not have a capital P in it, despite it does in the video. (laughs) (laughs) One of the interesting things about the Magic Trackpad is that, as far as I know, it's the first time that a trackpad was ever marketed as a serious desktop computer accessory, rather than as just part of a laptop. Next, we have Point and Click and Swipe and Tap. Worth noting that Apple started officially using TAP in their public communications and marketing for the Mac a couple years ago, really just before the introduction of Force Touch. We also have drag and drop. Not sure exactly what the reference is here, but there's been lots of dragging and dropping in the entire history of Apple, uh, all the way back to the Lisa for basic drag and drop. System 7 introduced dragging and dropping documents onto apps to open them. And in System 7.5, we got the true system-wide drag-and-drop, allowing you to take text and media from one place to another. Also, pinch-to-zoom, another important interface interaction. And this is another one that Apple lost out on. They tried to patent pinch-to-zoom, but fortunately, they were not awarded this dumb patent because it would mean that a lot of frustration for other technological devices in our lives. Next, we have all the big cat code names for Mac OS X. Starting with 10.0, we have Cheetah, Puma, Jaguar, Panther, Tiger, Leopard, Snow Leopard, Lion, Mountain Lion. At one point in our lives, we named a stupid podcast after this. We called it Big Cats in Space. (laughs) And of course, there were some unused names here when Apple made transition to not using big cat names anymore. One that was missing was Lynx, but maybe there were trademark issues there because of the old Lynx web browser. And my favorite, which may be on the fringe, is Ocelot. I was rooting for that to be macOS 10.9. But instead, we started a new naming scheme with uh, famous places in California. So starting with 10.9, we have Mavericks, Yosemite, and El Capitan. Mavericks perhaps only became famous because of Apple's operating system, and everyone had to learn that Mavericks is singular. And it raises the question of what other places will they use? Will they be normal places or will they be crazy places like Zyzix? Yes, maybe the last release of true OS X has to be Zyzix, the last word in the dictionary. (laughs) The next item in 40 and 40 was another stylized slide in the presentation. It was earbuds where they filled in the B and D to look like Apple's trademark earbuds. Does anyone remember the first generation of Packin earbuds? Because they came with black foam caps that inevitably would like corrode from the gunk and the oils in your ear. <laughs> they were gross. They did not work well. They did not. Apple did redesign them uh, before earpods too. So we had two generations of earbuds before the current earpods. 
And as everyone is starting to gear up for the iPhone 7, will we see a fourth generation of earbuds? Maybe one with a lightning plug at the end. Another important interface element, the dock, which is probably hanging out at the side of your screen. Interesting to note the history of the dock. The dock first appeared in a Next product in Next Step 4.0 all the way back in 1996 and is still with us today. Xcode is Apple's IDE. And of course, it's the only way to develop for its platforms, both the Mac and iOS and tvOS <laughs> and watchOS. And if you recall, uh, there was a painful transition there where all the people had to give up their use of MetroWorks Code Warrior. Next, we have Safari, which is the default browser enforced on iOS and the default browser by default on OS X. And out of the many, many things we could say about Safari, I would like to bemoan, ironically, of course, the uh, the departure, at least in the, the Chrome UI, of the snapback feature, which was hilariously one of the, the top features Apple promoted when Safari was released. I had completely forgotten about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Retina. It does not say Retina display, but that's what it's referring to. And of course, a Retina display is defined as something with viewing angle and distance and blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is that on a Retina display, you can't see the pixels unless you look really, really close. Next, we have the Smart Cover, which debuted with the iPad 2 and has magnets on both uh, sides. One keeps them anchored to the iPad. The other interacts with some hidden magnets in the iPad so that when you lift the Smart Cover, it can wake up the iPad. Next, we have iMessage, which is Apple's over-the-top SMS equivalent. Goodbye, AOL Instant Messenger, which I do remember actually trying to get to work on the first iPhone that I had. <laughs> which was painful and impossible. But instead, now you can just chat away happily with your blue bubble friends. One application that you may have used to chat with your friends of any bubble color was iChat. This was Apple's own instant messenger client. And eventually it grew in scope. It added video chat support with the iSight camera. It still went over the AIM protocol, but it was available only iChat to iChat. And this was called iChat AV. Of course, the product names change, and iChat is now Messages as of Mountain Lion. It'll still connect to your old AIM account, though, if you want. That's kind of remarkable. <laughs> the Oscar protocol. TOC.Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Next is iBooks, Apple's foray into the ebook world. And as far as I'm concerned, iBooks has never, ever made an impact compared to Amazon's Kindle service and hardware. And, of course, iBooks has also gotten Apple into some legal trouble where they wound up having a huge, well, huge by our standards, drop in the bucket to Apple, $450 million legal settlement over price fixing with publishers. Next, we have Touch ID, which debuted on the iPhone 5S in 2013 and is already on its second generation. Way to go, Touch ID. Here's one that's just kind of a little feature that's hanging out there in this otherwise important list. It's Find My iPhone, which I always find is a little weird feature because if your phone is lost or stolen, chances are it doesn't have any connectivity or battery power anymore. So you're not going to find it. The thing that you use Find My iPhone for is to let you know that, yes, your phone is in the couch cushions. Unless you're this one family somewhere in the United States that I can't remember where there was a glitch that was pointing a lot of people's Find My iPhone to their house. 
I never figured out if that was like a hoax or not. Next is AirPlay, which is the current name of the feature where you can wirelessly send media, whether it's just audio or full video, wirelessly to another device. Its predecessor was AirTunes, which was a feature just on the Airport Express. You could wirelessly send what your iTunes was playing to an Airport Express within Wi-Fi range, which would pump it out to some speakers. Another Air product is AirDrop, which is an easy way to get files into and out of iOS devices, including, if you haven't set your privacy features correctly, pranking unsuspecting commuters with sloths. (laughs) This is a real thing that a writer did for The Verge. We will link to this. And this is perhaps my favorite Verge pull quote of all time, talking about the AirDrop feature. You can decline my space sloth, but I know you've seen it. (laughs) So good. We're almost home. We've got a few Apple, big Apple products remaining. Right. Products that start with the Apple symbol in their name. The first of these is the Apple Watch, the newest outright uh, member of Apple's product family, still on its first generation. You'll get their Apple Watch. Another detail from the video here is that Apple is so assiduous about putting the watch in small caps in all of their stuff that goes on stage. But of course not in the video, because nobody proofread the video. (laughs) Next is Apple Music, which is the former Beats Music, which is a service that I canceled because it destroyed my iTunes library. But other people are having much better luck with it. Next, we have the Apple TV. First, it was basically a giant iPod that you plugged into your TV. You had one, right, Brian? I did. I did. Uh, It was stupid. (laughs) You had to preload it with content. Um, It was before it was... A wide release, it was called the ITV, and then it became the small black hockey puck box we know and love now, which was based on iOS, and then the hockey puck got a little thicker and was based on tvOS, which is still iOS-based, but is, counts as its own major fork. And that brings us to the end of the 40 and 40 video, April 1st, 2016. We made it. Happy 40th birthday, Apple. Whew. That was whirlwind. <laughs> Before we sign off... uh a little bit to wrap up uh, and try to process all of that information. I went through and pulled together some stats. These are not uh, totally comprehensive of what was in the list. So by my count, there were seven types of Macintosh computers, three other types of desktop computers, five iPods all right in a row, maybe 11 or so other hardware devices, 17 Mac apps, eight direct references to marketing materials, And now this is where it gets interesting. So one of the things that people noticed, I noticed this immediately, John Syracuse noticed this immediately, (laughs) um, was that the the list is not chronological. And so I went through and tallied up all of the years that I could find, and we tweeted this out on the the show account, and we'll link to that. Um, Things go, the trend line is more or less, you know, from past to present. Uh, But one thing that you see immediately here is that there's a huge gap between 1984 and 1997. So the Steve Jobs interregnum period, there's almost nothing. Like, forget that that ever happened. Apple does not want to talk about that. In that period, there are five things. One of them is misspelled, the Power Mac. (laughs) And one of them is the Newton, which it was lighthearted, but still they were making fun of it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So they really did not care too much for that period in their history which was, what, 12 years, 12 out of 40 years. Uh, 
before we sign off for this 40 minute episode, we're going to try to get it in there. <laughs> um, this was a pretty good list, but I think there were some things that really just missed the cut and I don't know why. So, uh, I've got a few here, Brian, you've got a few and we'll wrap up with that. So things that didn't make it into the list. Number one, the iBook. So iBooks made it in, <laughs> which is a not particularly well-loved Apple app. But the iBook, a major class of Macintosh laptops, didn't make it in. Also, several other major classes of Macintosh computers that didn't get any call-out by name were the G3, G4, G5 categories of Mac desktops. And, you know, the processor architectures that even well-loved computers like the iMac ran on. And of course, the G4, one of the more iconic designs that Apple ever put out was the G4 Cube, which I think would have been a, a you know, if you're going to reference the Newton, you got to you gotta reference the Cube. It's in the MoMA. They're kind of in the same league. Yeah. Um, some software that didn't make it was Final Cut. There were no pro apps, only consumer apps, but that's a big one, I thought. And... At the end, they were going through, like, these are all the products that Apple has now that start with the word Apple that are important, and they didn't put in Apple Pay. Yeah. A couple things I wished would have been in this were to start FireWire, uh, which enabled not only uh, digital video and a lot of the stuff in Apple's digital hub, but was how you powered and uh filled up your original iPod, which was one of the big products that helped turn Apple into the huge company it was today. It is today. Also, the lightning connector, which saved us from the 30-pin <laughs> dot connector. It's reversible. It's, uh, it's extensible. It may be the future foundation of audio. And uh, there's a lot writing on it. As far as software, maybe we're biased because we just did our, our previous episode on this, but HyperCard uh, should have had a spot in this video. It goes right along with Mac Paint and Mac Write, which they did get. And finally, there were two slogans that I felt if Apple was going to reference uh, some in the video, why not throw these two in as well? One was Rip, Mix, Burn with the iMacs that had uh, CD burners built in. And the other one was Pro, Go, Woe. Before Steve filled in his famous 2 by 2 matrix, he only had the PowerMacs, the PowerBooks, and the iMacs, which were captioned Pro, Go, Woe. Interesting. I don't remember that one, but I didn't really remember Chic Not Geek either. <laughs> right, yeah. I remember things like iMac to go, uh, and black tie optional. You know, those were things from that era that I remembered. Yeah. So I think we made it. I think we're gonna get out of here in 40 minutes. How about that? So once again, happy birthday, Apple. And we hope that this has been the definitive guide to Apple's less than definitive guide to their 40 years of history. As always, you can find show notes on our website, simplebeep.com. You can find the show on Twitter, at simple underscore beep. And we're on Twitter ourselves. I'm at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. We did it. We're out. <laughs>